1: Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb. And as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa on this beautiful Tuesday evening ahead of the Baylor game. Dustin, how are you tonight, sir?
2: I am doing well. Thanks for asking. Coming off rested from the bye week. Just, you know, feeling uh feeling like a new man. What about you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, same. My body's back to back to how I, I feel like I'm in game shape. I'm ready to go. And I mean, it's a good thing because, boy, do we open up with a good one. I mean, Baylor, obviously, all the storylines, we're all aware of how it went with them last year. But, I mean, what more do you want to get right into Big 12 football season?
2: Yeah, and Coach Gundy gave the guys Friday, Saturday, most of Sunday off. I think you and I took off since the last pod, and everybody's just resting, ready to go for Baylor. So,
1: well, we saw the team doing it, and I felt at that point I was like, okay, I could probably take a couple days off. You could probably take a couple days off from grinding over film, especially if they're they're out doing their thing. So, felt like it was only right to let you off for a couple days.
2: Yeah, I, I think this. I know you know a lot of people, including Coach Gundy, even said he'd maybe like the bye week pushed back a week. I know you and I have talked about. Kind of a weird spot because you don't get another break the entire time through conference play, but it is exciting to start with a game like Baylor. It you know sucks that it's not at home, but either way, it's it's a great test for Oklahoma State, especially when the non-conference was a little bit weaker than I think we thought going into it. More on that Arizona State Central Michigan side after watching them play a few games outside of after the Oklahoma State game. So uh it's great to get like a final I think real test for Oklahoma State as we head into conference play.
1: Oh I mean we're going to find out so much about this football team. It's um you know I was I was driving down the road today thinking about them that I feel like we've gotten through three games and I know really I'm just confident in what I already knew about this team being true and we kind of broke down the you know superlatives and rehashed some of our Preseason predictions after last week's podcast and so much of that held true that I'm like, OK, Emma, is it just that easy with this team right now? Or is there something we don't know? And I, I think after this week, win, lose or draw, we're going to know we're, we're going to know for a fact what this team's strengths are, what their real deficiencies are, because they will have had three weeks and a bye week to clean some of those things up. And if after that you start to still see some cracks, which Baylor can absolutely cause issues, they can exploit you. They're a good football team. Um, But if you don't start to see improvement in those key areas that we talked about last week, I'm looking at really the linebacker spot. If you don't start to see improvement this week, I personally will start to wonder about this season's trajectory. I think we talked about it in the off season and this game where it's at on the schedule right off the bye week one of the biggest football games in Oklahoma State's recent history just because of what's ahead of it if you go win especially based off of what just happened in Norman what just happened uh in Lubbock where OU and Texas both go down that's a big deal in the in the grand scheme of the Big 12 title race Baylor made it with two losses but Oklahoma State only had one so you know there's a lot on this game and uh, I don't want to overhype it but this is a big one.
2: Yeah, and I think the thing to think, you know, we t- I talked about the non-conference opponents maybe being a little weaker and Baylor's faced, BYU and Iowa State already. But one thing that's going in Oklahoma State's favor, you mentioned they have the extra week to prepare for a tough opponent like Definitely. Baylor. And then also, they were able to make it through the non-conference with pretty much no injuries. You know, the Bray injury happened. Before the first game, Blaine Green happened before the first game. Evers sits out against Arkansas Pine Bluff, Sean Michael Flanagan. But Gundy had said during the presser leading up to that week that those he thinks those are minor injuries. So I would expect everybody to come back. Gundy mentioned Jaden Bray's been practicing this week. I'm not sure how much he'll play, but it's a great sign that he's kind of being worked in through the bye week and into this week and practicing again with the team, I, it's going to be awesome if he's able to kind of get out there for a full amount of snaps. But even if not offensive line, they got a lot of guys we talked about it, you know, guys like Joe Maholsky, Jason Brooks have gotten a lot of snaps along with the five starters and everybody kind of made it through unscathed. And then they get the, like I said, the Friday, Saturday part of Sunday off rested and ready for Baylor. So it's, it's kind of a whatever way you want to look at it type thing, you know. They didn't really get tested yet, and Baylor has been, but Baylor also has less time to prepare for a talented team like Oklahoma State. They've had some injuries, which we'll get to. And Oklahoma State, on the other hand, hasn't been tested, but they're coming in pretty much at full strength.
1: Yep, no, no doubt. And this is going to be a slugfest. Um, I'm excited to get into the X's and O's with you because I, I have a lot of respect for how Baylor wins football games I think it's a lot of how Oklahoma State would like to win football games physicality in the trenches, clean games and minimal penalties and turnovers so um, I I think Baylor and Oklahoma State it's a it's a really fascinating um, matchup because I think the styles are, are different but the intentionality, is the same the way they want to win is the same, and um you know i I just there's a lot of familiarity between these two teams and I think oklahoma state i think I think it'd be foolish to not think that they're aware of how their season went down last year and what Baylor put what they meant in the grand scheme of how that season ultimately unfolded i I would think that Oklahoma State comes into this with as much a chip on their shoulder, as much of an edge as you would expect them to against a team that, you know, ultimately possibly ended their college football playoff hopes at the one-yard line. So, you know, Dustin, for me, I'm kind of ready to jump into it. I don't know about you.
2: Yeah, let's do it. Uh, You want to start with the offense? I think we should. All right, so Baylor, I I actually came with the box. (laughs) With the bye and with a team like Arkansas Pine Bluff as the game before the bye, who I didn't, you know, we talked about, I watched a couple other games, but didn't really get into them too deep. I was able to watch, I've been able to watch all four Baylor's games this year, and I know you've watched a lot of them as well. Their offense coming in, Jeff Grimes, same offensive coordinators last year, came from BYU before that. You mentioned it. They do a lot of 12 personnel, a lot of 11 personnel. They'll go under center. They'll shotgun some. They'll move to empty. They'll move to four wide. But there is pretty much always a tight end on the field, whether that being Ben Sims, who's been the starter, or Drake Dabney, who's played a lot this year. Sims was out for one game, and Dabney kind of stepped up to that role. And they also mix in some of their backup tight ends as well. But they will use them a lot. We've heard a ton of talk Sam Bradshaw talked about it on our preview pod about the Baylor wide zone scheme. It's going to look like outside zone on film when you're watching the game, but basically the running backs aiming point is changing a little bit there. So instead of kind of angling at the tight end or where the tight end would be on outside zone and the offensive line stretching the defense to the sideline, the running back looking to either penetrate a hole or get to the outside. On wide zone, you're kind of aiming more at the butt of the tackle, the inside butt cheek there going right at that and looking to kind of <laughs> cut back vertically while still moving to the, moving to the perimeter while the offensive lines, moving to the perimeter. So Oklahoma state, I know Mike Gundy calls that mid zone. You've seen them do that sometimes, but a lot of play action passing when they're not in play action, they're straight dropbacks. It's a lot of quick stuff. They'll throw quick stuff into the boundary too. They'll try to kind of overload to the, the boundary throw a running back over there, throw a quick slant, a quick out, make that linebacker backer, make a decision and throw the ball in there. They've done some more interior run stuff this year. We've talked about duo on the podcast before, obviously inside zone. I don't know how much they'll do against Oklahoma State. They threw something in the BYU game, but it's pretty much the same thing we saw from this Baylor offense last year. Not a lot of the same personnel as far as wide receivers and running backs go, but it's Blake shaping again, and it's pretty much a lot of the offensive linemen back and they're very talented. So that's what we'll see. It's nothing nothing groundbreaking from them when you compare them to last year. It's going to be a lot of the same stuff. And their play action passing game that Grimes dials up is really fun to watch.
1: It may be the thing that scares me most about Baylor's offense is their ability to get you out of position in multiple ways. And that wide zone – is something that as I was watching your your brilliant Twitter thread that you always do, just sitting there thinking, okay, boy, this is a really, really important game for Mason Cobb and Xavier Benson and Tyler Lacey. You know, th- those three guys, plus a Brendan Evers, but I mean, you're really looking at the linebackers here to be sound in their run gaps. Like if they're not you those four or five yard runs that you saw in Ames that that Baylor constantly wore Iowa State down those can turn into 15 20 30 yard runs pretty easily um, if you're out of position in that middle level of the defense so that concerns me that's an area that I've got circled and so looking at Xavier Benson and Mason Cobb in that regard I think Cobb has shown himself to be pretty good probably above expectation in that regard and Xavier Benson, maybe a little bit below, but we've had two weeks and a lot of film. I think Baylor put almost all of it on film against Iowa State. They, they needed to, to get out of there with the win last week. And then you look at, okay, if, if they're getting you out of position or trying to with that wide zone in the run, that timing of the play action pass becomes very important that you're also disciplined defensively. And they do a phenomenal job with it. Looking at, you know, the way they run, they're they're constantly running play action into the boundary they're running it with crossers areas that oklahoma state has struggled to defend consistently at times this year they've done some really good things they've done some not great things at times too so this is this is a big test and i think that they do a lot of good things in that regard the thing i'll say about baylor they've lost a lot of skill talent There's no Tyquan Thornton. There's no Tristan Ebner. Um, Those losses to me are notable. Um, And they, they show up in the stat sheet and they show up in Baylor's overall explosiveness where Baylor got Oklahoma state in that big 12 title game was early in that game down the field. And this, this year, I don't know if they have that deep threat, take the top off the defense type of receiver. I think they've shown through four games, three games now that they want to go a little bit more inside and a little bit more into the flat and let Blake Shapin get comfortable in that regard because what I've seen is that when Shapin's asked to move, things break down for him. And so it's 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 always easy to say this game's going to be one in the trenches, but, I mean, Oklahoma State's defensive line against Baylor's offensive line, I mean, is it really that easy in this game?
2: Yeah, I mean, we can get talk about their offensive line a little bit, you know, coming into the season, this was the predicted, like the elite, the cream of the crop in the big 12 offensive line. They lose Khalil Keith, their right tackle. He has not played a game yet this year. Their right guard, Grant Miller went down. Apparently Dave Veranda said he's going to be back this game. Uh, Most Jeffrey replaced him. He's actually listed as the backup left guard, but replaced him at right guard, but Jacob Gall, Connor Galvin at left tackle, Mike Amazcua at uh, left guard. These guys have all been really good. The Grant Byers, who has played right tackle for Khalil Keith. He hasn't looked great until kind of the Iowa State game. He played really well, but I've been a little underwhelmed by this offensive line so far this year. They've been really good in pass pro. Shapin's had a lot of time. He hasn't thrown under pressure a lot. And when he has, kind of as you mentioned, he hasn't done very well. But they have not been amazing in the run blocking game. And that might not all be on them. They've kind of had a musical chairs at running back with Tay McWilliams going out with injury, bringing some younger guys up, some guys, you know, kind of that have different skill sets. Really similar. We'll get into them, but really similar to kind of how the Oklahoma State running back room has been kind of moving around a little bit has some guys with different skill sets. So the line is really good. I don't think they've had very many amazing games and lived up to their potential so far this year, but it's still a really good offensive line. But to your point, I think there's some things that the Oklahoma State defensive line and the linebacking core can exploit here. It's just a matter of, especially like you mentioned with the wide zone scheme, if the defensive ends, if the Brock Martins, if the Tyler Laces are setting the edge and funneling the ball back in, funneling that cutback back inside, Mason Cobb and Xavier Benson have to be there. If the running back, the Baylor running backs try to bounce it to the outside, I'm really not worried about Cobb and Benson yeah. running them down. They've done that pretty much all season. But when the play when the cutback comes back into the interior and who knows if Baylor goes with some of the inside zone duo stuff that they did against BYU I, again they didn't do it a lot but if they go to that can these linebackers step up read and react and make a play we know they know where to be it's that they don't know where to be but we've seen Xavier Benson we've seen Nick Martin when he's come in just be a little slow to react to these plays so I think guys like Tyler Lacey, Sionia C, Brendan Evers, Simuela Tua these guys, along with all the Leos, Oliver, Martin, Ford, you know, even if my guy Kapinski gets in there, I think these guys can cause some disruption and some chaos, even against this talented Baylor offensive line. But can the back end second and third level players come up and make the play?
1: I th- I think that's my biggest question in this in this matchup of you know Baylor's offense versus Oklahoma State's defense. You you laid it out perfectly. Outside zone against this defense doesn't scare me. I think we even talked about this recently, not even in Baylor's context. But if you're trying to stretch this defense wide to the sideline, it's just a it's not going to work out nine times out of ten. The thing that concerns me, even even the same degree to what I just said, inside zone and duo. Don't scare me as much because there's less misdirection. Wide zone is almost like we're going to get your eyes going one way. Running back's goal is to stick his foot in the ground and catch you essentially leaning, right? Like, so that way they've got that lane into the cutback. Jalen Warren made his money on that. He's the second round. He's the second string uh, running back in Pittsburgh for that reason. I mean, We've seen what undisciplined linebacker play in this conference gets you against a scheme like this. And so, you know, my my biggest question is if if Oklahoma State can effectively defend those other type of run plays inside zone duo, like which of those three concerns you the most? Cause I, I just kind of laid it out for me. Those those seem to be what Baylor wants to go to. You think they lean on wide zone? You think they lean on any of the others? Cause they did against BYU. They switched it up.
2: I don't think, I, I don't think they will completely change their scheme. You know, we talked about this last podcast about Oklahoma mistake going in against other teams. They want to go in and take what the defense gives them, but they also want to do what they want to do. They run out, yeah. they want to run their outside zone scheme. They want to get sensor Sanders involved in the run game. They want to get it out to these really talented wide receivers. Baylor's the same way. They they may use kind of change of pace, go in some inside zone and some interior runs, but I think they're going to run that wide zone scheme. And I think Oklahoma state can, I mean, they've been practicing for it. I think they can slow it down enough to where they can have a successful rush defensive game against this Baylor team. And something else with this, this Baylor offensive line, just talking about how I think they've kind of underimpressed. They really, really, the Baylor offense really struggled with the noise in BYU. Their stadium, I think it holds like 65,000, similar to Oklahoma State's in size, but the BYU crowd was getting rowdy. They had a bunch of false starts. They've actually had quite a few penalties. They've cleaned them up as the season has progressed. Pretty much none in the Iowa State game, but I'll be interested to see if that kind of rears its head again against Oklahoma State. I know they'll be at home, but just this Baylor offensive line gets into a little bit of duress. If the Oklahoma state defensive line can out hustle them, which is what Aranda said, the BYU defensive line did, will it kind of get in their heads and cause some false starts, cause some holdings, things like that. But Hey, to answer the question you asked me about what, what do I think they'll do if they would go to more interior runs, go to wide zone kind of keep it the same. I think the thing that really concerns me and that they will, use a lot. And we've seen them do all season, not really geared with the offensive line, but motion, a lot of pre snap motion, a lot of shifting of the tight ends. They'll move the running back pre-snap just to kind of get the defensive line and linebackers confused on where their gap is, where they need to be. If they're in man coverage, who's got, who are you running after a guy completely across the other side of the field? If he's motioning across the formation, that's, I think what scares me most, about the Baylor offense and the Baylor run game is will they use that motion and will it confuse some of these more experienced guys on the back end to where they can find openings without even having to really block the play that well?
1: Yeah, it's a great point. We actually talked a little bit about this on last week's episode. I mean, Baylor, they... they- use a ton of motion and they did against oklahoma state in both outings last year and they had some success with it um again it's just like is it gonna be this way every game where i'm just circling xavier benson and it's like okay if he plays well this defense all of a sudden goes from what like a b to an a type it's that level of jump if he plays well and i hate to single a guy out like that but it's so crucially important in this system that Oklahoma state runs defensively, that you've got sound linebacker play in both spots. You saw Oklahoma this week get crushed by Kansas state be, simply. I think because of really poor linebacker play, there's obviously a lot that goes into it, but linebacker play is crucial when you get a team that's run heavy and Baylor is run heavy. And then they want to use that run and get you out of position and hit you in the flat, hit you across the middle and, um, you know, Baylor's scheme overall doesn't concern me. It's, it's really how sound can Oklahoma state be? That is the question. Oklahoma state's defense put the clamps on them for essentially six out of eight quarters last year, right? Like they played eight total quarters. You could even argue it was seven total quarters that Oklahoma state put the clamps on them. They know what to do. It's, can they do it? (laughs) Yeah,
2: no, I completely agree. And I think if this, the, the big – and it's been like this every game. We talked about it after the Central Michigan game. This defensive line, the front, needs to be extremely disruptive. They need to be extremely physical, and we, we've seen them rotate guys in. The second-string guys have looked great, maybe even some Colin Clay. Even guys all the way down to Aiden Kelly have looked really good. If they can, like I mentioned, out-hustle and just be really physical from the opening snap against this Baylor offensive line – they could probably wear them down. Baylor likes to play slow. They like to get up there, motion. The play clock will run down. But outside of Jeffrey, who had to play for Grant Miller at right guard last game, the rest of the Baylor backup offensive linemen don't have very many snaps. 11, 11, 19 on the year. And I think if the Oklahoma State defensive line can continue to rotate guys in and just wear these guys down, they can tire them out. And it might be a game where you kind of take control late in the fourth quarter or something like that. And I, I truly think that's something that could happen. I, I'm looking for a huge game from the interior defensive lineman and from the Leo's your Tyler, we, I've named them all already, but if Tyler Lacey, Sonya C, Brendan Evers, Brock Martin, if they have a really good game, I mean, obviously Colin Oliver and trace Ford rotating in there as well. I think it could mean Oklahoma state wins the game just from those guys winning that battle up front and being disrupt- disruptive and causing chaos.
1: I, mean, I think I agree with you, Dustin. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking at the middle level of this defense as what could ultimately, and there's a lot that goes into it. Like if Spencer Sanders throws four interceptions again, then it may not be a, a factor like the middle level of this defense. But assuming that doesn't happen, which I think is a safe assumption, middle level of this defense, interior defensive line, Um, and, and cornerbacks making plays in space, making tackles is going to be a huge part of this game. Um, I, I can't wait to see how Oklahoma state does. I'm excited to see this defense get tested again. I don't think Baylor's offense is over the top explosive. It's not always the most efficient, but they're methodical. They're really physical. And I think this is a really good test for Oklahoma state. And, you know, the thing I'll say about Blake Shapen, I've, I've kind of, I haven't dogged him on this podcast. He's he's beat Oklahoma State for a Big 12 title, but he didn't have game-breaking ability last year, and that hasn't changed this year. But what he does have is really good decision-making, I think, most of the time, unless he's under a lot of pressure, which we saw in in uh, Provo. You get him rattled, he kind of stops looking for his receivers and, and trying to figure out a way out of the play. But he's 69 of 100, 773 yards, seven touchdowns and one pick. I mean, he's having a really nice beginning of this year. And so my biggest question is, if Oklahoma State's middle level at defense does, you know, if they play a B game, I think that is enough for me to say, okay, Oklahoma State's going to hold Baylor to what I think they need to hold them to to ultimately win this game. So, anyway, that's that's kind of my thoughts on Bay or on Oklahoma State's defense in this game.
2: Yeah, and I think we see. It, you talked about shaping. I, I think we, I think we could see some of that two, four, five, if Oklahoma State is able to kind of. I, I think they'll play man to stop <laughs> the run, and I think they'll bring a safety down. I think you could see some Jason Taylor, some Kendall Daniels, some Shawn Michael F- Flanagan if he for sure plays down near the line of scrimmage. You could see some Lamont Bishop in there, some more three linebacker sets. And I think there'll be some stunning up front. You'll see some guys coming from different levels. We know Baylor likes to do that with kind of the simulated pressure in the creepers where it looks like one guy's coming, he'll drop into coverage and someone will come from somewhere else right at the quarterback. I think we see a lot of that because I think Oklahoma State feels that they could stop this run game. It hasn't looked great so far this season. I think they're going to try to make Shape and beat them with this receiver crew that he has, and these receivers. If you want to get into them next, yeah, I just don't think any of them. They're very talented. We talked about that with Sam. They look good getting off the bus, but none of them have consistently shown the ability to beat man coverage. Yeah. They've looked good against zone. Obviously, the play action passes. If the Baylor offensive line can protect. Somebody's going to get open against zone with these play-action passes if he gets protection, and shaping is very accurate. You mentioned it. You know, the Seth Jones, the Monterey Baldwin, Hal Presley, Gavin Holmes, Josh Cameron even getting in there a little bit, the young guy, Gibson, they're all really, really talented players. But I don't know how consistently they're going to win the battles against the Corey Blacks, against the Thomas Harper, against Jabbar Muhammad. And Cade, I asked you this question last week and we, we kind of stopped because we didn't want to get too far into Baylor. But do we? Do you think we see heavy man coverage in this game as opposed to some of the kind of mixing back and forth between man and zone? Knowing what I just said, that I think Oklahoma State's DBs have the talent and athletic ability to lock these guys up for most of the game man coverage. Now, I'm sure there'll be a bust to play here and there, but... That allows your defensive line to get after. You can bring some guys if Baylor stays in to max protect. You can bring some guys on a delayed bit blitz. I was talking to Sam Bradshaw about that actually from Sitcom 365
1: the other day, a little green dogs. But do you think we see more man coverage? Man, I mean, it seems like the the right kind of matchup if you were ever going to go to it, right? I mean, a good quarterback with good decision making, but I would say average arm talent, he's he's not gonna beat you downfield for 65, you know, like a lot of his game is underneath in the middle of the field and, and, you know, hit you over the top for an easy one. But, um, I, I, Oklahoma state doesn't give up a lot of easy ones down the field outside of that one busted play against central Michigan. They haven't given up a lot of easy ones. Those wide receivers have had to make those plays. I don't know if Baylor's got that. And, you know, the other thing that stands out to me is they don't have the size that they had last year at the wide receiver spot, Tyquan Thornton, you know, 63 is a red zone threat. They can go to him when they need to you know right now. I don't see that in Baylor. You know, you talk about Monterey Baldwin, Gavin Holmes, both kind of the Brennan Presley type of build, smaller guys who they, they would probably like to get the ball to in space and, and have them make a play. So, you know, to answer your question, I mean, I, I could absolutely see them going more, man. oh, Teams had done that to Oklahoma state for years where they say, we're going to load the box and make you beat us. Let's go do it to somebody else this week. Uh, I I'd love to see that um, especially pin your ears back and let, you know, Brock Martin, Colin Oliver and trace Ford go to work. Trace Ford loves playing Baylor.
2: Yeah. I feel like he's mentioned that a couple of times uh, recently it, that 2020 game up, Kind of was the last game I think he played right after that injury. Well, he
1: smoked him. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. So, but back on these receivers, you know, Hol- it, you can even tell what you said just from the amount of targets. Even if you didn't watch the games, it's pretty. It's spread pretty evenly. Not not talking about uh, Sims Ben Sims yet, their tight end. But outside of that, you know, Holmes has seven receptions. Presley's got nine. Monterey Baldwin's got five. Seth Jones has seven Seth Jones looked really good against Texas state and was able to get open against man, but he ha- he hasn't really been that impressive against anybody else. I think Holmes is probably the one who's looked the best. Baldwin was out of game that, and Shapen just hasn't really had a chance to, I think just create some chemistry with these guys yet. You talked about the guys that they've lost, like Thornton, and Baldwin's missing a game this year. I just don't think Shapin has found a consistent guy on the outside that he can go to the Jones, Presley Gibson, Cameron, they're all good players and Baldwin at the slot. But I just don't think he's found a guy that he really feels comfortable throwing it to. And especially not down the field. I believe he's only completed like six passes down the field. And until the Iowa state game, they weren't even really trying nope. to throw it down there, but they want to set up that play action, deep ball, They want to throw the short, quick passes. I think man coverage might be the move here. We'll see kind of what Mason decides to go with, but I don't think the skill talent at wide receiver scares me enough to make me want to kind of mix up the man and zone. I think I would go heavy man in this case, at least early. Get some press, not just on the boundary, but maybe on the slot and to the field, and just kind of see how that goes. Shaping he did not look great against BYU. I I know he didn't turn the ball. He didn't throw an interception in that game, but 18 to 28 thought he made some really strange passes there. He's done a couple of times kind of running out on the move. They like to roll him out and he's thrown back into the middle of the field across his body several times this season, which I don't really remember seeing in the games he played in last year. I know he's been really efficient. You talked about almost 70% completion percentage. But against BYU, 64%. Against Texas State, 57 And he had the pick. In those two games, he did not look like the shape. And I remember the Big 12 championship game, especially early in that game, looked solid against Iowa State. And then Albany, you can't really count. It's kind of like an Arkansas Pine bluff type yeah, game free there. Space. So I want to see. I think they're going to try to get him on the move. He's been very accurate when they roll him out. That's what they like to do. But I, I don't know. I don't know how much time he'll have if he's rolling out with guys like Colin Oliver, Trace Ford, and even Xavier Benson and Mason Cobb running after him. So it'll be interesting to see how this game goes. He got rattled really early at BYU. I've seen some BYU, some Baylor writers say that was due to the noise, but I think it was really due to not being able to complete some kind of the Spencer Sanders thing that Gundy always talks about. They just weren't really able to get anything going consistently run game wasn't really working. And I think that rattled him. And it was really the only game where I think he faced some real pressure. If Oklahoma state can do that to him early. And I, again, I know they tried to do in the big 12 championship game and he kind of shredded them apart on the outside, but I think they could do some things to kind of adjust, but still get pressure to him, Like we talked about the man coverage. And now we know after watching that BYU game that
1: he can get rattled. Yeah. Well, and we hadn't seen that, but I mean, Oklahoma state got to him in the second half of that game last year. I mean, yeah. he was not the same quarterback in the second half I and mean, Oklahoma state was, you know, just phenomenal at making those second half adjustments, but they they've seen him now. They've seen both versions, the really good Blake Shapin and the Blake Shapin when he's rattled. Um, when he has time to stand in the pocket, I mean, he's as, you know precise and methodical as any quarterback in the league so um, i think you have to heat him up a little bit i don't think you can just let him sit back there and, and yeah, carve can't you up. Let him i don't get it over the middle well you can, and i don't again back to the middle of the this defense i don't know how much you can trust that part of this defense to be sound especially if you're just going to drop him back into zone you know rush four um, I don't know if that's a winning recipe against this Baylor Bears offense. And, um, you know, my, my biggest question is, do they counter this Oklahoma State defensive line with a lot of 12 and 13 personnel? They they've, they've do, you said it in the Twitter breakdown, 11 and 12 personnel all the time, but they'll go under center and it looks like Iowa's offense out there at times. And so, you know, my, my question is, do, do they go to more of that to try to get more blockers on the field to counter some of this Oklahoma State offensive line. It's something I could see.
2: Yeah, and a a lot of bunch formations, like you mentioned, and if they do that, they've got the tight ends to do it. I've talked about Sims and Dabney, and that could be one problem in man coverage. Can Thomas Harper cover a guy like Ben Sims, who's not only a really good run blocker, but he's a really talented wide receiver? If Oklahoma State plays a lot of man does shape and try to go to Dabney, try to go to Sims out of 12 personnel, like you said, that could be one way to kind of counter that man coverage. Because I think the Oklahoma state linebackers in man coverage are athletic enough to run with some of these running backs, some of these tight ends, but can a guy like Harper, if you're putting multiple tight ends on the field, can some of these other DBs cover the talent that is Ben Sims and Drake Dabney who are really, really talented and Sims. He's been a little banged up this year. I believe it was a concussion. He was out of Texas state he was back for Iowa State. They looked to him a lot in the passing game. I believe he leads the team in targets right now. So that's a great point. If they bring the tight ends onto the field, maybe that's one way they try to counter Oklahoma State's attack. And, kid, I know we didn't really talk about the running backs when we were talking about the running game, but they seem to have found their two guys since Tay McWilliams has gone down in Richard Reese and my guy Squirrel, Squirrel <laughs> Williams. So I think those will be the guys that get the bulk of the carries, but... Like I mentioned, it's kind of a Dominic Richardson, Ollie Gordon, Jaden Nixon thing. These guys have some things that they're good at and some things that they're not. Abram Smith run you over, neither of them. And they have some deficiencies in pass protection. So I'm not, I'm not like, like I talked about, their skill players are not amazing, but they are good and they are talented. And I can see them, as we move into next season, stuff like that, being really, really good players, just coming into this game, these running backs don't strike a lot of fear into me. But again, we've seen Oklahoma state struggle at times to stop the run. So.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that was one of the big things that I, I noted in general about Baylor is that explosiveness that was there at the skill position. I mean, Tristan Ebner was one of the best uh, kick returners in the conference for multiple years. Uh, that. They just don't have those guys and I, I think Richard grease has done a nice job he's got six touchdowns this year very so, fast yeah he's he's small fast and scores so what more do you want out of a running back um <laughs> yeah I, it's it's very interesting to me I mean Ben Sims is you know one of the best tight ends in the conference but you know does I don't know i I, I just don't know if Baylor. Will be able to sustain enough, you know. As we as we talk about their offense, I think Shapin's going to get his. I think Oklahoma State's defense is susceptible to chunk plays, but when you get inside the twenty and that field gets smaller, the thing that I'm watching for is how does Baylor punch it in? You know, I think Oklahoma State's going to give up chunk plays in between the twenties fairly often, they only put up 350 yards against Iowa state though. And I think Oklahoma state's defense can hang with Iowa state's any day. And I know it's hard to look at just that stat in a vacuum and say, well, their defense, their offense isn't that good, but their, their offense isn't that efficient at times. And they scored a lot on chunk plays that started from outside that scoring zone to shout out. The tape doesn't lie. So, um, my question is when they get inside that shorter area of the field and things get easier on this middle level of the defense, can Oklahoma State force field goals? Because I think this is going to be one of those games where last year you look in the Big 12 title game, they didn't force field goals. And once they started to, that game turned on its head. So it's a big thing I'm going to look for.
2: Yeah, and they, they've got a bigger back they can go to in Quaylon Jones. It looks like Jerome Bettis out there. It's like 240 <laughs> pounds, but... Uh you're right. I think that's a great call out. Josh Fleeks is another running back who they might use in some passing situations. I believe he was a former receiver, pretty quick guy. They like to get out in space. But yeah, that they we'll see if Oklahoma State can stop him in the red zone. And Kid, the last thing I think on the offense before we switch over, unless you have anything else, is Baylor's gonna go for it on fourth down, no matter where they are. If they if they like a spot on the hash that they're at, if they like the situation with how much time is left in that quarter or the half, the yardage, they're going to go for it on fourth down, and they have been really successful at getting it, whether that be some kind of trickery, play action, kind of throw out to, you know, they'll put their linebacker, Dylan Doyle, at fullback sometimes, do something like that, but they will do some interesting stuff. Shapin hasn't kept it a lot in the read game this year, but I believe there's a fourth down where he kept it against Texas state and ran for like a 30 yard touchdown. So it, it'll be interesting to kind of see if Oklahoma state is able to not only get three and outs, but four and outs against this Baylor team. And speaking of shape and running before I throw it back over to you, I wanted to ask you, he hasn't really ran it a lot this year. They do a lot of read plays where it looks like it's, Hey, give it no matter what look you get. Do you think there is any way they break that out against Oklahoma state? Is that something they've been saving for Oklahoma state?
1: I would think if it's in the playbook, we see it this week, right? Like I, I I don't think anybody's going to get out of this game having held anything back for another opponent on their schedule. This this is a huge game in the grand scheme of this conference this year. Both teams are going to let it hang out. And I, I love the call-out. I think you had that in the Twitter thread as well. Um, we haven't seen it. I don't know if his wheels are – are they are they there, though? Do we know?
2: He's fast. I, I think what you lose with when, when they let Bohannon leave and transfer is Bohannon was able to keep it on the read and turn it back inside if he needed to and maybe right. stick his shoulder down and run over somebody, which – you know, we talk about not wanting Spencer Sanders to do that, but when you had Shapen as the backup, you felt a little bit more comfortable with him. Shapen isn't going to be able to do that. So, if you can kind of set the edge and push him back inside, if he was to keep it, then I, I, he's not going to get any yards running over people. And he's not like a super shifty. He, he's very athletic, but he's not like going to make you miss in, in in the interior space against the guy, Center Cobb. So I don't know. I, I don't think it's something they would try to use as like a major part of their game plan, but I could see him keeping it on one and gaining some big yardage just because Oklahoma State's not expecting it. They also oh. like to use that option some, too. Well, we'll
1: get, you know what? You can have 20 yards if it's from your 30 to the 50, all right? It's Once it's past <laughs> that, what are you going to do? And I was actually kind of watching as we've been talking just to kind of jog my memory. I mean, Baylor had a couple of touchdowns in the red zone on what was it Dustin? Heavy misdirection. So yes. discipline from that second level is just it's so That's the
2: main difficult. thing I'm worried about. Yeah. That's the number uh, one it's thing. Clearly just the
1: main thing for me too cuz I can't stop talking about it. But
2: too many too many big they're going to give up some big plays especially if they go heavy man, but I think if you get if you get your eyes caught in the backfield with all that motion, all the and it's not even always the motion, you know, they'll put two tight ends on one side and shift both of them before they get set, just kind of completely change the strength of the formation right before the snap. If you get too caught up with that eye candy and give up too many big plays, there's not really going to be a way for you to win the game. Even if Baylor's not able to run the ball, if they can catch you consistently, if they can catch you too many times for big chunk plays, like you said, that could be a problem.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Well, Dustin, I love the breakdown on the Oklahoma State defense, how they'll attack this Baylor offense. But what I also can't wait for is how we're going to talk about how this Oklahoma State offense is going to attack the Baylor defense. But before we do that, we've got to pay the bills. we got to say a quick thank you. To sponsor the Feels Like 45 podcast, Price Buckley with Edward Jones. Price is the fourth generation in his family to graduate from Oklahoma State, and he loves working with fellow alumni. Price uses a personalized approach to build a custom investment strategy tailored to your unique goals and circumstances so that you can turn your ideal future into a reality. You can reach Price at 469-757-0290 or on his website at edwardjones.com forward slash Price hyphen Buckley. That's spelled B-U-C-K-L-E-Y. Dustin, a question I meant to ask you. I'm going to set the over under for Blake shape and passing yards at 215. You going to take it? where are you where are you at on that line i th-
2: i would love to for him to be slightly under that it's gonna be if right he's there. under that i think if he's slightly under that it's very very positive Oklahoma state because like i said I, I don't see Baylor having an amazing day on the ground i and if the if they do i could definitely be wrong obviously I'm wrong a lot but I don't. I'm not super scared of Baylor's run game. If they can hold shape and under that 215, I think, I think it's a win. I think it ends up being an ugly game, but I think it's a win.
1: Yeah. I. I what th- about I, you? I I'm gonna take the over. I agree with your sentiment there. I'm gonna take the over, um, but ever so slightly. And I think it's gonna be because they're gonna have to throw it. I think Oklahoma State's defensive line is gonna have some success. But Dustin, I ask you that because you can go make a bet on Prize Picks right now. I don't know if that lines on there, but I wanted to ask you that just to get your get your flavor. Obviously, <laughs> if you use our promo code feels twelve, uh, if, if when you sign up, you'll get a one hundred percent match on your first deposit up to hundred dollars, and that's at Prize Picks. So, Dustin, again, that's not a real line. I made that one up, but I feel like if I was an odds maker that would be the line I would put it at. And I, I, I'd be curious to know where you all would land on it. But again, use the promo code feels 12 for prize picks uh, for a hundred percent match on your first deposit up to a hundred dollars. All right, Dustin, welcome back. Uh, th- this is fun. I mean, I love breaking down big 12 football with you. We get to watch so much of it that this is familiar. It's not like going to pull film on a central Michigan and get to know that team. That's always fun. Don't get me wrong, but we know Baylor pretty well, and uh, it's always fun to see how a team evolves as, as time goes on. Baylor, you know, still defensively strength up front. I mean, that's, that's the calling card of this defense. What they had last year, I think that's missing from this, is lockdown ability in the back end of that defense. Is it something Oklahoma State can exploit? We'll see. But, I mean, this group is headlined by Siaki Ika, household name and Stillwater and Waco Jackson player. You probably know him. If you follow Oklahoma state played at Tulsa for several years and Dylan Doyle, I think those are the three names on this defense. I mean, you've, you've even got other guys on the defensive line. We'll talk about um, that. That front is, I would say almost as talented, if not as talented as Oklahoma state's, you just think about Oklahoma state's rushers versus Baylor's interior And I think you have two of the best defensive lines in this conference in this game. So it's, it's a really fun storyline, but I'm curious what you've seen out of them uh, as you watch some film.
2: Yeah. It's Dave, it's Dave Aranda. It's Ron, Ron Roberts. We hear kind of the buzzwords with them all the time, the simulated pressure and creepers. I talked about that in the offensive preview and we were talking about Oklahoma state
1: talked about it with Sam Bradshaw too, in the offseason.
2: Yes. Talked about it with Sam. So, Baylor will bring a lot of different players, whether that be a safety, both linebackers. They'll put an extra kind of defensive end stand up on the field, looking like they're going to rush. They'll drop into coverage and a safety from the other side, or even a cornerback or another linebacker will come at the quarterback. It's not a ton of five plus man blitzes, but it's a lot of different guys coming from different angles and a and Roberts and this Baylor defense have it down to just kind of a second nature thing. It's something that we've seen confuse Spencer Sanders, confuses a lot of quarterbacks. It's really fun to watch if you're a Baylor fan or if Baylor is not playing your team. (laughs) Aside from that, they've played Kate a lot this year. I noticed in the BYU game, I believe they did something against Texas State too, some two-man under. So basically, Baylor's front is either four down or three with a stand-up edge. And they like to play two high safeties pretty far off the ball, 10, 11, 12 yards, maybe even deeper off the line of scrimmage. And what two men under, you hear that a lot in a cover two zone. Well, they're doing a two-man under man defense underneath. So the two safeties drop back. One has one half of the field in zone. The other has the other half. And everybody else underneath is in man coverage. So it's asking your linebackers to do a lot. Dylan Doyle, Matt Jones, they asked them to do a lot in coverage. BYU actually exploited this a little bit by kind of attacking Dylan Doyle, who's not insanely fast as a linebacker. He's a really, really good linebacker. I said they use him on offense as well. He's very athletic. They were kind of attacking him on some quick routes because they knew it was man underneath coverage, underneath those two deep safeties. They'll do quarters seen them do some cover one, cover three, even some split field stuff, cover six, which is quarters to one side of the field and cover two to the other. I'm going to put a video out. I try to get a Twitter breakdown on them before the game on the defense. So I'll, I'll show an example of that. But the defensive front and the way this defense has been able to stop the run is exactly what we thought it was going to be heading into the season. They have not let anybody run on them. Iowa State, if you look at the numbers from just, I think Brock, their running back, not terrible yards per carry, but Iowa State basically completely abandoned the run because of they weren't really able to consistently gain yardage and instead threw the ball like 40 times with Hunter Deckers in that game. EYU wasn't really able to run the ball very well on them. No one really has, and it's the guys that you mentioned up front, your Ekas, your Gabe Halls, your Jackson Players, your Braden Utley's, Cole Maxwell, who didn't play against Iowa State. I'm not 100% sure if he's going to be back for this game. Your TJ Franklin, Garmin Randolph. They're all really talented. They rotate a lot of these guys in. And aside from really maybe not being elite in terms of pass rush from the front guys, the front four so far yet this season, they've been good, just not elite. What they've done against the run has been pretty incredible.
1: Yeah, against the run is what you... Um... I mean, that, that's Baylor's defense. If Oklahoma State finds constant success running the football against Baylor, it's a win. I mean, they'll win the game because of it. I think it's that big of a matchup, and Baylor has such a distinct advantage in that regard. I think Oklahoma State's run blocking, too, has been a little bit um, lackluster at times. And so you just look at that matchup on paper. I know it's one that concerned you. We talked about it last week. It's still one that concerns me, but I think there's things that Oklahoma state can do to counter that. I love what you said about Baylor going man under underneath and BYU picking on Dylan Doyle. I was thinking, boy, this sounds like the John Paul Richardson and Brennan Presley show to me. I mean, but one thing I'll say, Iowa state burned Baylor twice on deep routes when they got one-on-one coverage with the corner. And it really wasn't all that close on those plays. So the thing that, stands out to me that Baylor is missing from this team is a Jalen Petrie and a Terrell Bernard guys that roam around the back into that defense and you have to be aware of where they are all the time and now you've got you know four guys who have have done good things five guys at times but we weren't seeing them really get burnt last year by an Iowa State Oklahoma State couldn't burn them deep on some of these you know just a deep post you weren't seeing that a whole lot last year and you started to see a little bit of that this year with them
2: yeah and that's a great call out and Kate, it's a great call out on Richardson and Presley because not just in BYU but in the Iowa State game Noel seven catches for 120 yards he he led Iowa State in receiving that's their slot and when they lined up Xavier Hutchinson they lined him up all over the place they had him in the slot and he got a couple catches out of the slot for him as well so I think it could be, depending on how Baylor plays, You know, we have seen them play zone as well. I talked about some of that split field stuff in quarters. So they may not do a lot of that two-man under cover one. But if they do, I think Sanders should look to Richardson and Presley often. Uh, we know he loves those quick outs, the quick hitches, especially if the defense is showing off coverage. throwing over the middle of the field, he's still going to need to do it. I'm not saying completely go away from it but we've seen him get into some trouble against Baylor throwing over the middle of the field, whether that be because of pressure throwing off his back foot or just getting a little bit confused by some of the disguises Baylor does on the back end. I think if you throw those passes to the outside to Richardson and Presley, I think that'll look great. Now Baylor is probably thinking that as well. They may try to take that stuff away. Maybe even place, some cover two with a guy sitting there in the flats, but that's what I would definitely look to first. Kate, on the, on the run game, and just kind of sticking with this Baylor defensive line for a second, I wanted to ask you yeah, a question. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So 4.3 non-kneel-down, non-sack yards per carry in the first matchup last season. Jalen Warren ran 36 times for 125 yards. That was 3.5. Sanders was 11 for 79, 7.2 yards per carry. And Richardson was 8 for 33, so 4.1. So it comes out to 4.3 yards per carry. In the Big 12 championship game, excluding the two sacks, 2.4 yards <laughs> per carry. So two questions. The first one is going to be, and I'll ask the second one for you after after you answer this one. What does the yards per carry number need to be? And I know there's uh, many other factors that go into the game, but what do you think the yards per carry number needs to be for Oklahoma State to win this game?
1: Well, they barely snuck out of Stillwater with that win last year. So I'm going to say 4.2. <laughs> What did you say? 4.3? I think it's 4. It's got to be 4. 4.
2: 4.3. I I honestly think they could get away with around 4 because I think they'll be able to exploit some things in the passing game, which you've already alluded to. So I'm going to go with 4. I love 4.2, though. Basically, my point was I don't even think they need to get to 4.3. Because yeah. no one's even gotten really close to that against Faylor this year. If they could get around that four number, I would be very, very happy. I know Gundy likes 4.5. I think four for me. But, Cade, hey, my second question, and I saw you had something else to say, so I'm going to send it back over to you. But what does Spencer Sanders' rush yes. total need to be? Yes. not Non-sack, non-kneel down. No, obviously.
1: this is this is what I wanted to talk to you about, Dustin. This was one of the like two things. It was Spencer Sanders' legs and the middle of the defense that I wanted to talk with you about. I don't know what the 60 needs to be. 60
2: is where we normally set our line. So do you do you need to be over 60 is kind of what I was thinking. I the don't question think would be. you
1: need to be over 60. I think it if it's not over 60, though, it needs to be an efficient, like, 55. Like, eight carries for 55 yards, not 17 for 55. If, if he's over 60 yards, I feel... I feel like Oklahoma State wins every game when he does run over 60 yards and doesn't throw four picks, right? Like, that's our magic number that we've seen. Will he get there? I think he's got a chance. And I think Baylor's defensive line is going to be keying a lot on just shutting down Oklahoma State's staple outside zone run, where Spencer's going to have options. And Dylan Doyle, a little bit slower, sideline to sideline. I think there's something to be had there and he had success against them both games last year. And I think, I think he will have more this time around, especially with some of his quick decision-making, you know, one of my big questions is philosophically, does Oklahoma state go faster and more spread out in this game? Do they, you know, last year you saw them have a lot of success late in the game with Blaine green on the field, going high tempo and Spencer's legs were a factor at that point in that game. So I think it's a little more of that in this game. They go fast. Spencer makes quick decisions on the read. If it's not their go type of game. And if he does and he gets over 60, I think they're going to win.
2: And Cade, I, I love it. And I think that's what we've seen so far this year. Teams are just going to try to spread Baylor out because it's very difficult to run the ball, you want to kind of spread them out and maybe open some things up on the inside. So I would expect Oklahoma State to do exactly what you said and come out and try to spread things out a little bit. But I do think I actually want Sanders, I'm going to bump it up 10 yards from our normal line. I want him to be around 70. Again, I don't don't want him to take big hits and get knocked out of the game or anything. I think he needs to be smart, running out of bounds. But I think we see some some zone read in here. We obviously see that zone bluff. They like might see that draw RPO as well. I think we'll see some kind of quarterback run game type read things plays that we haven't seen yet this year, or haven't seen a lot of, especially early to try to see how Baylor reacts. I'm not saying they're going to be super successful. And if they aren't go away from it,
1: how about some speed? Go to the
2: quick passing game. I think we've seen the option this year already. I think we could go back to that. I think they try to mix some things up because in that first matchup, we saw the zone, we saw draw, we saw some runs from Scramble. It was a lot of different stuff with Spencer Sanders to get him to that 79 yards. And I would like to see that again. Obviously, Dave Aranda is very aware of Spencer Sanders. He said he looks faster this season. So I'm sure Baylor's going to be thinking about the quarterback run game. But I think that's how Oklahoma State has success running the football against Baylor. I think they need eyes on Spencer Sanders to open things up for Dom, for Ali, for Jaden, for even DeAndre Jackson. If he gets some carries along with, I think we see some more motion from the Oklahoma state offense, some of that. And also the shifting that they've done pretty much all season where they'll move their running back and their tight ends around. And I think we see heavy, not heavy, but I think we see a consistent amount of 11 personnel because in that first game, 71%, 11 personnel, that's the game they win. Then Again, last season, I was counting Blaine Green as a wide receiver because that's what he was listed at. But you go 87% 10 personnel. Basically, Blaine Green was in the entire game, and that was due to some injuries. But I think using Cassidy and Schultz a lot in this game could be really successful. Maybe even throwing Owens in there at times to kind of give Baylor a weird look. But I think Oklahoma State, and it may sound like I'm saying they need to be gimmicky to get the run game going. That's not what I mean. I think they just need to use... Their strengths in this game, and they don't just have to run outside zone straight at this Baylor defensive front. I think you'll see some double teams on ecat at times. And I think at other times, Matirko, Woodard, and Wilson just need to block this guy. Yeah. I know he's really, really good, but you got to win some of the battles. And I'm saying that from my you know office chair. I'm just saying there's going to be times where it's going to need to be one-on-one. And
1: they don't have to win every time, but they need to win sometimes. And- well, what's what's different from that 12 carries 76 yards to 13 carries 33 yards? What's different there? I mean, it's it's Danny Godlewski's injury. It yes. was that center not being able Sills, to handle. Up. Yeah, Sills banged up. You had injuries on that interior offensive no line. No Cassidy, no Carter they had issues blocking them. And it was a lot of it was due to health. Like they just didn't have the guys up front. Oklahoma state's healthier. They're coming off a bye week I mean, They've I guys
2: linemen that have had a lot of snaps that aren't starters.
1: I, and I said this uh last week that I started to come around on the timing of this bye week because of what Baylor had in front of them with a, a physical, you know, down to the wire game against Iowa state and Oklahoma state's, you know, trench guys getting a week off before you ultimately go get the biggest test of the year against Baylor. It's not the worst timing for this specific game. Is it the worst timing when you go to Manhattan after a game against Texas? Yes. That's when it's bad. But for this game, which is what we're previewing, I think it's good timing for where Oklahoma state is at. I mean, I think you may catch Baylor, um, at a little bit of a disadvantage just based off of that.
2: Yeah. And before we wrap up the defensive line and that's a great call out Ika he's going to be a problem we know that I'm going to be interested to see how many snaps Cole Maxwell gets he is kind of the better field end at stopping the run he's a little bit stronger and TJ Franklin is probably a little bit better at rushing the passer Franklin is a monster coming off the edge I I said their pass rush hasn't been up to the level I think it could be for most of the season Franklin has been awesome but we'll see, you know, maybe there's some ways to exploit if Maxwell doesn't get a lot of snaps because he's banged up. I'm not exactly sure what's going on with him. And it's a lot of Franklin out there. Maybe that's something you can exploit. I, I'm i going to be a little nervous when Bryson Jackson is on the field. He's got two sacks already this year for Baylor. He's kind of their guy they bring in behind Garmin Randolph at that jack spot and get him moving all around. They'll stunt him. They'll bring him from one side, completely wrap him around. They'll drop him back into kind of that little robber zone where he's got the middle of the field, short, close to the line of scrimmage. If nobody's there, he'll come after the quarterback late. He's a very interesting player. And a guy I don't think gets talked about a lot from people. I know if any Baylor fans are listening to this, they're probably like, this is the guy that we have picked, you know, lead them in the sacks this year. But, you know, with Ika and Franklin and player... Gabe Hall, this guy doesn't get as much run. He's very scary. He's number seven, Bryson Jackson. I'm going to be interested to see how they move him around and how the Oklahoma state front running backs and cowboy backs are able to block him and handle some of these stunts and twists that Baylor and obviously the sim pressure and the creepers that Baylor likes to do. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. I'm, I'm nervous about it. I'm not going to lie. Obviously, we've we've talked about the Oklahoma State offensive line and some of the questions marks marks we have. I'll be interested to see how much run Jason Brooks and Joe Maholsky get. I, who knows? Maybe even one of those guys starts. We'll see. But it's going to be very very interesting to watch up front.
1: Well, I mean let's let's push it back, Dan. I mean let's let's go back a level to that you know linebacker spot for Baylor. Obviously, we've talked a lot about Dylan Doyle. What do you see out of that group? I mean, they they tend to go a little bit of what Oklahoma State goes with a 425 look. Um, sometimes they'll bring in an extra, but it tends to look a lot like at least to my untrained eye, what Oklahoma State likes to do.
2: Yeah, Doyle gets a lot of the a lot of the hype. I think he had some really good games against Oklahoma State last year. His backup, though, Tyrone Brown. So Doyle got ejected late in the BYU game, so missed some of the Texas State game. And when Brown came in, BYU kept trying to use some of those quick routes to exploit that linebacker spot. Well, Brown handled it really well. He's extremely fast. He's a really good player. He'll, he'll probably get some snaps in this game. He has spelled Doyle throughout the season, obviously too, because they use Doyle on offense at times. Needs a breather every third series or so on defense. So Tyrone Brown's a really good player at that middle linebacker spot. And then at the weak side linebacker, Matt Jones, played well against Oklahoma State last year as well. He's going to be tough to block in the split zone game Cassidy and Schultz are going to have their work cut out for him. If he comes up and tries to set the edge or is, is there mugged up on the line of scrimmage? Matt Jones is extremely strong. No, he's the weak side linebacker, but he will stuff the run and he can cover in man as well. They don't use him as much as the blitzer or they haven't really so far this season. You'll see Doyle kind of come after the quarterback more, but Jones is really, really good in space He's, he kind of reminded me of a similar thing to like I'm Malcolm Rodriguez. I, not as good, but that's the type of player I see him as. And then I talked about Bryson Jackson. He's really playing that Jack defensive end spot in Garmin Randolph, but it's it's more of a Jack, I guess, defensive end linebacker hybrid. These guys are just, they're really talented players. Basically, Baylor up front is solid. And they have been so good against the run. I, I know I've said like four times already, but it has been pretty amazing to watch.
1: Well, I mean, we've already talked so much about that front six, you know, we'll call it six, but that secondary, again, Jalen Petrie, Terrell Bernard, both gone. It feels to me, they just may not have been tested quite yet. I mean, Jaron Hall at BYU threw for over 250 yards, Hunter Eckers threw for almost 300 yards. I don't think those are world beaters at quarterback. And, you know, to me, the question becomes, okay, well, how did you get beat? We talked about it earlier in the show. Hunter Deckers and Iowa State was beating them down the field. You know, they, they were also able to exploit them underneath, but when they went and got chunk plays, it was over the top, which is just not it's just kind of surreal because it's like, that is not what we saw against them in the Big 12 title game last year, and they didn't get beat over the top against Ole Miss either. Nobody could beat them in that regard. But now you're starting to see a little bit of the cracks show. What's what's your take on that? Do you think that's right? Or, I mean, what what do you see out of that secondary group for Baylor?
2: So I don't think the safeties have been bad. You know, Al Walcott plays that star spot. He actually played corner last year. (laughs) Maybe you want to move him back to cornerback, because I think that's where – They have not been bad. Okay, they've just been suspect at times, and they've gotten, like you said, they've gotten picked on a few times. But it's Lorando Johnson, Mark Milton. You'll see AJ McCarty out there. The other backup is Tevin Williams. He didn't play against Iowa State. It's it's kind of those three that I mentioned, and they have had. They've made some great plays, but they have been burned by the big play. And I think guys like Braden Johnson, if if Jaden Bray's back, Bryson Green can get some separation from these guys. I know we've talked about Bryson Green having some issues against man at times this year, but I don't kind of like I was with Baylor's skill players at wide receiver. Their corners are very athletic, very talented players, but I haven't seen enough from them this year to make me think they could lock down the Oklahoma state outside receivers. So I think you're perfectly correct on that. Safety play has been, I think pretty good. Devin Lemire, Devin Neal. Like I said, Al Walcott is an amazing player. They'll bring him on blitzes a lot as well. Number 13, he's really good. But out, outside of the safeties, I just think Johnson, Milton, and McCarty have not been as good at, I don't think his Baylor's secondary was last year. And I think Spencer Sanders may be able to exploit some things there as well. So I think not just the slot guys, like Richardson and Presley could have a big day, but I could see a Braden Johnson. It's just got, they've got to win their routes. They got to win the one-on-one matchups. We know Sanders is going to put the ball on target, especially yep. on those outside throws. They've got to just get some separation, get open, and make some plays after the catch.
1: Well, I mean, you just look down the list of the guys that are no longer there. Raleigh Texada, Christian Morgan, uh, Kay- Kalen Barnes. I mean, the- well, Morgan's a- still there. Oh, he is? I'm sorry. Yeah. Raleigh Texada. I didn't mean to include Christian Morgan. Jalen Petrie, Kalen Barnes. He's been hurt. Um, They they don't have these NFL guys that are now in the NFL roaming around back there. It's not saying the guys that are there are no good. That's not what I'm saying. They had almost like Oklahoma state's missing a linebacker right now that they had pros walking around back there and, and they may not right now. And they're, they're feeling their way through it, but Oklahoma state may be a bad matchup to be feeling that, part of your defense out where Oklahoma state wants to go deep and they want to go deep a lot. And, you know, seeing Iowa state have success on that deep post route is like, okay, maybe Oklahoma state's got something here, you know, to where they could find consistent success down the field. So.
2: Yeah. It's a, it's a great call. Katie. I mean, you're perfectly correct on where I think some of the weaknesses are on this Baylor defense. And like we said, I'm not saying the cornerback play has been terrible or like the worst in the big 12 or anything, just Don't think it has been as good as their run defense and their defensive line has been. So I think this is a weaker part of the defense that Casey Dunn, Spencer Sanders can try to exploit. And I think they might find some success when they get one-on-one matchups on the outside. And I'm sure they're going to look for that a lot.
1: Yeah. And I, and I don't want to, I don't want it to come off as though I'm dogging their, their secondary. I'm not, I think you said it perfectly. If they're not bad, they're not perfect right now. I'm, it's really easy though, when you're comparing a team, you played five games ago and it's like, okay, well, here are the names that had a big impact in that game. And those guys are no longer there. Oh, by the way, this is what that's getting them right now. And so it's, it's just easy to make those comparisons when there's so much familiarity between these two teams right now. It's, it's kind of unique, actually, just how, how often it feels like these two teams have played each other. So
2: no, hundred percent. Kate, I think, I don't know if I have much. The Baylor defense is a little bit easier, I think, to run through than the offense when we're kind of talking on the podcast, just because what else can you say about this defense? <laughs> you know, I feel like we didn't even really talk about Jackson player, who's formerly at Tulsa. Again, he he's a he's playing the position kind of inside where you don't notice it as much on the stat sheets. He didn't absolutely dominate against Albany and Texas State, but you know, against Iowa State and BYU, he's not really showing up as much on the stat sheet. Eka as well, but these guys are dominant forces inside. TJ Franklin, Gabe Hall, Garmin Randolph. That is where Oklahoma State is going to have issues. From these guys, from Doyle, Matt Jones. Absolutely. And just the way that Baylor is able to use their pressures and throw Spencer Sanders off. I think Sanders is going to come in to this game, like you mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, as this entire team probably will, with a chip on his shoulder. But can he use that to his advantage and if things don't go well at the beginning of the game can he, is he going to get all sorts get happy feet make some bad throws i personally don't think so but that's got to be the big question mark in most oklahoma State's fans oh, minds i'm not saying it's not one for me as well
1: it's going to be in the like you know opening segment on fox on on saturday they're going to talk about his, his seven turnovers against Baylor last year. It's going to be in the opening segment. They're going to talk about everything we just talked about. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see what happens. I think Spencer has played with an edge. I think he's also played with a lot of poise. So I, I'm not worried about any of that lingering more than it should. Use it as motivation and motivation only. That's the way I see it. But Dustin, we got to talk. I mean, we got to pick this game now. Like that's the hard part. And I've got mine. I think Oklahoma State finds enough success. I think they find enough chunk plays. They've got enough on special teams, which we have not talked about at all. I think they've got the best special teams unit in the country. I think you start talking about where Baylor wants to exploit you underneath. Does it feel like a Kendall Daniels pick six type of game? Because it may take a play like that, that would to, be to turn the tide but I've actually got Oklahoma State winning this game 31-23. to I think like Oklahoma State does find enough. I think they find enough on the edge, and I think they find enough down the field to score enough points, um, and I think the defense shows up ready to go.
2: And, Kate, I, I love that pick. I-, I think what the line I'm seeing is Baylor 2.5 and, and the over-under at 56.5. Yeah. I was kind of floating between thirty-one twenty-four and thirty-one twenty-seven. But since you said thirty-one twenty-three, I'll go thirty-one twenty-seven, which would put me at the over one and a half over and obviously picking Oklahoma State to win there. I agree with you. And on the flip side of things, Oklahoma State hasn't been tested yet. Nope. Baylor has. If Oklahoma State came out and Baylor won this game by a touchdown or so, I don't think it would be that shocking. Baylor's a really good team, like we said even with the bye week, Oklahoma state has some inexperience. They haven't faced a really good team yet. So that would not shock me, but I'm going to go into this game thinking that Oklahoma state is going to win. You and I picked them to have a really successful season hopes of getting back to Arlington 10 plus wins. So I'm not going to pick against them in this very first (laughs) conference game, even though I think it's going to be a really tough one playing in Waco not the rowdiest place ever but it's on the road a lot of these inexperienced guys haven't played yet on the road so we'll see but i'm gonna take oklahoma state as well
1: yeah i mean and it's tough i mean but i I feel like spencer sanders turnovers were such a factor in those first two games oklahoma state won one and probably should have won the next one right i'm not sure you know, the things that I pointed out as issues run blocking in the middle of this defense are significant enough to where if, I mean, if Spencer Sanders turns the ball over four times again, they will lose. Okay. It's, it's easy, but if, if he throws a pick and otherwise has a clean game, they can win this game and and might should win this game. Um, I, I don't know if Baylor does enough, um, explosively like down the field, to where they scare me, I, I, I think Oklahoma State has that in their you know in their bag where Baylor may not, and I think that may, that's a factor in a game like this because again, Baylor wants to be methodical they want to grind you out, they want to hit you in the mouth, and Oklahoma State may just be a little bit more explosive, so it wouldn't surprise yeah. me anyway to see Baylor win this game, um, but I mean th- this is potentially a big 12 title preview right, right yeah, here.
2: and I, I think along with what you laid out. Can Oklahoma State's run offense do enough against the Baylor defensive front to win this game? I don't think they're going to get to 4.5. I don't like think you really wants them to want some too. But can they get to 4.2? Can they get to 4? Can they get above that 2.4 from the Big 12 championship? Can Taylor Materko, can Hunter Woodard, Joe Maholsky, Preston Wilson get enough push against your Gabe Halls, your players, your Ekas, your Utley's And can the Oklahoma State running backs find the seams and make plays, win the one-on-one battles with the linebackers when they're in space enough times to get Oklahoma State to win? I think me and you both feel Spencer Sanders is going to play really well. I think the receivers are going to be able to get open. So what's it going to take for this running game to find enough success to get the overall victory for Oklahoma State? I, I think that's a huge question mark and a huge battle.
1: Well, well, one way they can soften up the interior of that defensive line is spread them out, right? I, I, I mean, yeah. Y- do you bubble screen them to, into oblivion? I think you could. <laughs> I mean, you could. You could and we, no saw, and Presley them, out we there. saw them run that so much last year against Baylor trying to soften up the middle of that uh, interior. I think they could do it again, but I think Oklahoma State's offensive line is in better shape to where that could have an effect on this game. like Siaki Screen Ika, game. Screen these guys,
2: running backs, out into the flat.
1: That's that's what I'm saying. Like get them moving and get them tired. I mean, shoot, I think the screen game could be big. You talk about running back screen, but I'm even talking tunnel screen, bubble screen, whatever you want to do, RPO glance, any of that quick stuff to get them almost almost the way Central Michigan attacked Oklahoma State in a way. You know, like just quick quick passes to where they can't get downhill. We've belabored it. It's going to be a good one in, in Waco, um, and if you guys are down there, be sure to tag us in your Instagram posts. We're at Feels Like Forty Five Pod on Instagram. Let's take a quick break. Hear a word from one of our sponsors, and we'll get back to to some questions. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Home Field Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Home Field Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members Colorado with a throwback t-shirt on their website i'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff and the quality is unbelievable so check them out at homefieldapparel.com and when you use our promo code feels 12 you actually will get a discount that's right feels 12 will get you 15 percent off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcasts all right dustin welcome back best part of the show uh, i would argue Probably. I don't know if you would agree, but I would argue that. But we're back and we're here for some question and answers. And this segment is brought to you by WT Appraisal, the premier commercial agriculture appraisal firm throughout the greater Oklahoma, Texas, and Kansas area in the Great Plains region of America. Specializing in appraisals of farms, ranches, commercial retail facilities, and industrial real estate. WT Appraisal has over 30 years of experience in agriculture, real estate, and a large footprint throughout the region. OSU graduate Andrew Cox has been appraising properties throughout Oklahoma for over a decade, and he'd love to give you a chance with your appraisal needs. So give him a call at 806 418 2629 or visit WTAppraisal.com for more information. And welcome WT Appraisal to the Feels Like 45 podcast.
2: Oh, yeah. Andrew Cox, my guy,
1: love it. Well, glad to have you on, Andrew. Welcome. And hey, why don't we just go right into it? We've got some audio questions via Anchor. And who asked one? But Andrew Cox.
0: Hey, guys. Andrew Cox here. Uh, Long time, first time. Also friend of the pod, whether Kate introduces me (laughs) as such or not. Uh, Anyway, my question (laughs) this week has to do with schedule and this lovely week four bye week we just had. I just kind of want to get y'all's general thoughts and feelings on it overall, uh, more specifically what you think it might do to the guys later in the year. Um, I guess keeping up with tradition of this podcast, I'll go ahead and answer my own question. I think it'll end up being a pretty big detriment actually um, come later in the year. I remember last year, Gundy sometime around November, uh, talking about how tired the guys were and kind of banged up they were then. And and that was after a typical off week last year, I think around week six or seven or so. And really, I'm so simple-minded. I'm not even sure as far as scheduling how each week is decided, each bye week is decided. So uh, maybe if y'all know how that works behind closed doors, maybe you could shed a little light on that. So anyway, that's all I got. Just kind of get y'all's general feelings on the bye week Appreciate
2: it, guys.
1: Andrew, thanks. You are uh, always a friend of the Feels Like 45 podcast, and thanks for uh, chiming in.
2: Yeah, Andrew, for those who don't know, since that's the first time I think he's asked one on here, and now he's a sponsor one of my really good friends from college. Uh, So really appreciate him sponsoring and asking the question. And now I feel like he needs to probably do it a little bit more. You can't just ask a question the very first time your ad gets read, but yeah. uh, we'll, we'll just go with this one. No, but I love the question and Kate, I don't even think we've really kind of broken this. De- we've mentioned it, but we haven't really gone into a lot of detail on it. I think, the setup of this bye week is a, a major reason. And, and again, along with kind of the weaker opponents we've seen in the non-conference that we mentioned, what is the reason why you're seeing Joe Maholsky, Jason Brooks, a lot of wide receivers getting mixed in. Sean Michael Flanagan and Kendall Daniels rotating in and out. A ton of defensive linemen moving in and out. I think they need these guys to get snaps. Because if there are injuries later in the year, you don't want to just throw out an inexperienced guy who's never played in you know in homecoming against Texas or in Bedlam against OU. You need these guys to have some reps. And I think that's how Gundy's kind of to answer that part of Andrew's question, I think that's how Gundy and the coaching staff were trying to prepare for this. Because, like Andrew said, it's not an ideal setup. Even Gundy, I know he only wanted to push it a week back, but He even agreed. It's just, it's really tough to have it this early because especially for your in your offensive linemen who are just gonna get bruised up, banged up every week to last an entire conference slate without going through any injuries. So to answer that, I I don't like where it's at. I know I hope they don't do that again very soon. (laughs) Oklahoma State scheduling. And I think what the coaching staff has done is try to get a lot of guys reps in the non-con to kind of mitigate it.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're spot on, Dustin. I think any benefit that it provides Oklahoma State before this upcoming game is probably off, offset and diminished down the line. Again, you look at like, there's a stretch where you go Texas at Kansas State and it's like that. that is only two months down the road, but then you've got games against Oklahoma still on the schedule Kansas. and can- Kansas at this point on the road like everybody's good in the big 12 this year you may have a game a conference championship game where everybody's got two losses that may happen um but yeah the, the the timing of the bye week might be an advantage in this game but it's I would consider it a disadvantage going forward and something to monitor like does does team health uh and team speed show later in the year we'll we'll see yeah, All
2: right. 100% agree. Great question. Thanks,
1: Andrew. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, here's one from Aaron Smith. What's up,
2: fellow? I think the the podcast uh, can tell you all put a lot of effort into it. It definitely shows. My question is, um, you know, when looking at the Baylor offense, it doesn't really jump out at you like it has in the past. It looks like they have a lot of tight end sets, a uh, more zone run game, uh, a lot of more play action rollout into the flat. Uh, with that said, you think that makes a really good matchup for our defense since we do play pretty aggressive up front um, and our uh, secondary is young and experienced and tend to give up the big play due to, uh, alignment and communication errors. Um, so, with that said, you think due to their non-intricate uh, route running schemes, it makes it a little bit easier for our guys to communicate uh, and defend. So, we'd love to get your perspective on that. And uh, looking
1: forward to this episode this week. And hopefully, we get a wick out uh, with the W. Have a good one, fellas. Oh man, that was great. Aaron, I don't know yeah. if you've sent one in before. I don't think I've heard your voice, but uh, fantastic question. And uh, appreciate a, the kind way, words way to make a splash. And yeah, thanks. Thanks for the kind words. That is in no way uh, the reason I'm showering you with praise, but um, <laughs> no, I, I think he's spot on. I feel like we covered a lot of that. Um, the thing that concerns me is if Oklahoma state hangs out in zone a lot, Baylor may try to attack that with some crossing routes where we've seen Oklahoma state really struggle at times, but outside of that, i do think they play a little bit into oklahoma state's strength which is team speed sideline to sideline um it's all back to that discipline you you know conversation we've had this whole show
2: yeah i mean dave aranda said it in his presser that 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 i think this will be the i think he said this will be the first week this season where baylor has not been the faster team and a lot of that is on the defensive side of the ball and i think great call outs there in the question about what Baylor likes to do and you're right Kay, we already hit a lot of it but if this Oklahoma State defensive line can cause disruption and not let shape and have time to you know, Baylor when they do throw down to the middle of the field or do throw a little bit deeper than kind of the five eight nine yard range, they're looking for you know a post over the top of a dig coming right underneath you know some of that stuff we saw with the Mason Rudolph James Washington era. Mills concept, you hear some of those terms thrown around. That's what Baylor's looking to do when they're throwing over the middle of the field or throwing deep when they're not throwing to the sideline. But if the defensive line can get to Shapen, you don't have time for those route concepts to set up, right? And then what does he do? Throw it away, escape the pocket. We've seen him leave the pocket. Against BYU, he left the pocket early quite often, which, again, not used to seeing Shapen look rattled like that. If this defensive line can get to him often and early... Yeah, yet no, I mentioned this earlier. I know they tried to do that in the big 12 championship game and they weren't able to early, but if they are able to do that, I think it could be a long day for this Baylor offense. Cause I'm not really sure what they will go to, to move the ball
1: down the field. Uh, it's exciting. Can't wait. Here's one from Brandon from Collinsville.
0: Hey guys, just have a couple of questions for you. First one, just curious on your thoughts on which Spencer Sanders we're going to see against Baylor. Um, Is he going to light it up or maybe try a little too hard throw a couple ill-advised picks? Uh, Just curious on your thoughts there. And then secondly, have we seen really through the first three games whether or not Derek Mason has the same knack on making those critical halftime adjustments that we would see time and time again from Jim Knowles? It seems like no matter how things are going the first half, he would make the perfect adjustments and, and we could just essentially shut him down the second half. Curious if you think we'll see that same level of adjustments or if we have so far through three games. Thanks, guys. You all do a great job.
1: Brandon, I I appreciate that, man. Dustin, I'll I'll let you kind of take a shot at it first.
2: Yeah, it's a great question, Brandon. Really appreciate the kind words, too. Great questions. I I think I'll answer the second one first about Mason and the halftime adjustments. I think to just answer the question, I, I don't think we've gotten to see him do that. But I think that's a little bit due to the opponents and a little bit due to the inexperience. I don't know if you can really make the true judgment on Mason's halftime adjustments just yet, because Jim Knowles is a great coach. We've seen him do good things already at Ohio State. Some do amazing things at Oklahoma State, completely kind of rework the defense along with the defensive coaching staff. But something that he had the advantage of, especially last season was extremely experienced players at pretty much every position on his defense. It's a lot easier to make adjustments when you have guys that are that sharp that have that many reps that know exactly what you're talking about and can be on the same page. And that's one thing that puts Mason at a little bit of a disadvantage. I'm not trying to make an excuse for him there, but that is one thing you have to remember when you're talking about these halftime adjustments and just overall kind of, way you can open up the defensive playbook. You don't want to throw too much at some of these back-end guys that don't have a lot of reps, especially early in the season, because if they can't execute some of the simple stuff, how are they going to execute the really complicated, super disguised, moving all over the place? So I think you got to find a good mix of simplifying, but also keeping the opposing offense on your toes. But I think we're going to get – a great view of that this week. So we'll be able to answer that question, I think a little bit better after this Baylor game.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it, Brandon. Great question. I'll, I'll answer the first one. I, I agree with everything you said there, Dustin. I'll answer your first one. I think the Spencer Sanders we see for most of the year looks a lot like the Spencer Sanders we saw against Arizona State. Um, I think it's methodical. It's good decision-making most of the time. And it's decisive running. Um, I I think he's shown a command of the offense where I don't necessarily think they're going to go light Baylor up for 50. I don't think they're going to light many teams up for 50 this year in the Big 12 Conference. Um, But I do think they're going to score over 30 quite a bit. And I think it's going to be in large part due to Spencer Sanders' ability to command the offense down the field, use his legs, Um, and then make the throws that are there. And, you know, ultimately he's got enough arm talent to make some wow throws. So, um, I I think this, I think the answer lies in what we've already seen and it looks more like Arizona state than it does, you know, a central Michigan to me.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's perfect. I don't have anything to add there. Love the questions, uh, these have been great so far. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure we're about to come up to one uh, that won't be as great because well, I have uh, I have an idea of who it's from.
1: Well, let's uh, let's end with that. We've got one from Ryan Winkle, and then, uh, yeah, we'll end on that note.
0: What's up, dudes? If you could pick one player on offense and defense in the Big 12 to add to OSU's team right now, who would you pick for
1: each? Oh, wow. That's a good question.
2: Kate, I honestly might, you might have to answer this one. I, I yeah, just, <laughs> I've been so focused on Baylor and Texas
1: Tech. like that's all I've watched. Okay, let me go. I, I, I want a linebacker, so let me go. Um, I mean, shoot, I'll just go DeMarvian Overshown just for fun. Throw him at that, at that um, other spot. Um, and then I'll take... Yeah, I think Oklahoma State's loaded. How about um, how about Bijan Robinson? I'll take two Texas players. How about that? I like
2: that. I I think running back, running back would have been a great spot to go. Maybe even if you wanted to talk about it, I could pick two players from Baylor if you want me to. I think I would take Connor Galvin at left tackle and maybe move at the end to right tackle or put Galvin at right tackle. If I'm gonna take, honestly, if I'm taking two players from the offense, I'm to (laughs) taking. I'm probably taking a Grant Miller, Jacob Gall as well. Not that not saying anything about Preston Wilson, but I think you could move Wilson over to one of the guard spots and have Gall play center. So I think I would take those two offensive linemen. They're very, very talented. Um, But yeah, if you, if you want to talk Baylor and Texas tech players that I can take, I can talk that all day. Yeah,
1: No, no, I think I'm good. All right. Here's, here's, (laughs) here's a question. Probably, hopefully. Hello.
2: Perfect bucket <laughs>
0: sports fans. This is your two and one man with uh screw it two and one. That's right, a dead dog loser a couple weeks ago. FCS games, man. FCS. I wish I could
1: really tell you what I thought that stood for. Anyways, we are on
0: <laughs> at Baylor, and I have an easy one here. It is
2: crystal clear, like the weather's gonna be at two thirty in Waco, and it's over weather. It is over, over, over. 56 and a half.
0: Are you kidding me? Vegas has not fully adjusted to these teams' makeup just yet. So it's over. Take my hand. 56 and a half. Let's jump in a bath together <laughs> full of money. Take the
1: over. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm glad oh, the full math of. is full of money. Um, yeah, and nothing else.
2: He I, he was actually going to be in Waco this weekend, but uh, some plans had changed. So I'll be with him watching that game as I have been for several this year. So if he is uh if he's wrong, but Oklahoma State still wins, I'll definitely. Hey, we we'll, will definitely make fun about, of him, even though I took the over as well in our predictions.
1: We, we'll do an Instagram live at halftime with Fuller and check in uh, <laughs> where he's at on his... Uh, I mean, how are you looking on the over type of check-in? Sound good? Yes.
2: Uh, yeah. I, I, he, he and I would both love that. But thanks, Fuller. Thanks, Ryan Winkle. Thanks, everybody, for the audio questions. Again, guys, we love all the questions on Twitter, too. But the audio ones, as you can see, can get pretty fun. So appreciate everybody sending those in. Shout out to our new sponsor, Andrew Cox. He'll be with us through football season. And so, um, yeah, you want to move on to Twitter?
1: Let's flip it over.
2: All right. First up, we got Aaron Hester. Aaron Case Hester. He says, OK, state grad, but worked for Baylor football last season. So I'm pumped to be back for this game. That's awesome. Uh, which D-line do you think will stand out more? Cade, Oklahoma State needs to stand out more.
1: Yeah I, yeah. I think
2: it's kind of a toss-up. I think Oklahoma State's got the better D-line in general, overall makeup. And I think Baylor's is really good as well. I think they're two of the better in the conference, the top two probably. But I think Oklahoma State's needs to, and and I personally think they will.
1: Yeah, I, I think I agree with that, Dustin. I mean, you look at it top to bottom, you got Tyler Lacey, Brennan Evers, Samuela Atualamaka, and then you've got Trace Ford, Colin Oliver, uh, I mean, uh, Brock Martin, and you could just go down the list. They, they are loaded. Um, and I think Oklahoma State's has to. I think you're spot on.
2: Yeah. No, I love the question. Thank you for sending that in. And uh, hopefully now that you're not working for Baylor anymore. Yeah. We get that done for the Oklahoma state. Let's one. bring
1: <laughs> let's bring that win on over this way.
2: No, thanks Aaron. Appreciate that. Okay. Next up, we got Corbett Klein at Corbett Klein. Thanks as always Corbett for sending in some good ones. He said, what are some things the Cowboys can do to limit ECA and players impacts without completely abandoning the run game, rollout, pass game, stretch plays in the run game. Well, yeah, I mean, we, t- we talked about a lot of this in the breakdown already, but I don't think Oklahoma State's just going to completely go away from outside zone and their split outside zone stuff. But you know, I think they'll double-team Eka sometimes, you know, maybe they could use some kind of the B-gap read stuff where instead of letting the de- leaving the defensive end as the unblocked player, you leave that kind of B gap defensive tackle as the unblocked player and read him. We haven't seen them do that a lot this year, but maybe mix some of that in. I think they'll add more motion, shifting guys around. But I think overall, you just got to be able to try your best to block these guys. Sometimes it's double teaming them. Sometimes I talked about you got to just win the one on one matchups. More, not more often than not, but you got you can't always lose them against an interior that that's good. That's this good. And you can't just completely rely on the double teams. Wilson, Materico and Woodard are going to have to step up and win some battles on their own.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt. I agree with everything you said. It's probably much more thoughtful than mine. Cause I was going to say bubble screen, tunnel screen, slip screen, smoke screen, touch screen, window screen, anything <laughs> to get that defensive line away from the action I think is is something that Oklahoma State they may not have to do that but it's something that would behoove them I think in the grand scheme of this game the, the full 60 minutes that screen game can wear out a defensive line running sideline to sideline and then you get to that fourth quarter we've talked about all season when Oklahoma state wants to start hammering you and then you start leaning on Dom Richardson and he goes over a hundred yards. I, th- I think there's some potential there um, to, to exploit an area. I think you have an advantage and that's out on the edge against this Baylor defense.
2: Yeah, completely agree. Great call out there. Uh, thanks again, Corbett. Next we've got C Davis at C M a a underscore C H. He says, what is the matchup you're most anxious to see? Flip side: What is the matchup that has the most potential to hurt the Pokes, Kate? I'll flip that one to you.
1: You know, I'll I'll answer the second one. I mean, the the matchup that has the most potential to hurt the Pokes, to me, I I think I'll go Blake Shapen against the middle of this defense because I I think I think that the Oklahoma State offensive line has enough to where they'll be successful in spurts and they will have problems in spurts, but the area that they could lose this game is in the secondary. Essentially you could lose it uh, with these crossing routes, not being disciplined in the flats. Um, I would say Blake Shapen against that linebacker and secondary group of Oklahoma state has the potential. I mean, shocker, it's Baylor's offense, right? At that point, that's the one that makes me think that you know, th- that could be the, the area that causes Oklahoma State to lose.
2: Yeah, and I think answering the first question, the ma- matchup I'm most anxious to see is the Oklahoma State defensive line versus this Baylor offensive line.
1: I mean, what if they just feast? What if they have four sacks and three tackles for a loss type of game I would like love that? It. I think they could.
2: I would absolutely love it. Awesome, thanks for that one, C. Davis. So next we're going to Nathan
1: at a
2: Cowboy State OK. He says, love your guys' show, so how exciting is it that Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and Kansas for sure have better quarterbacks than Oklahoma? well, <laughs> what a lie. <laughs> thanks, Nathan, for the kind words. Really appreciate it. Slammed and yes, yeah. Oklahoma State or is, Oklahoma
1: <laughs> caught one right there, right on the It is brow. a great life. Yeah. It is a great life. Yeah. So thanks
2: for that one, Nathan. Um, next we've got Spencer McIntosh, at Spencer T. Mac. He says, we've always had guys on the outside who are really good at high-pointing 50-50 balls to make the D pay for playing one-on-one on on the outside, which helps occupy safety and or bail us out on third down. I just don't know that we had that guy this year, except maybe Bray thoughts.
1: Uh, Jalen, I mean, Jaden Bray is a bailout type of receiver. And we talked about this, right? We talked about how they don't have that guy. that can take the top off the defense when, when they are not allowing you to, you know what I mean? Like, Braden Johnson can run a deep post like nobody's business. But when you just want to go up and get a football, that's Jaden Bray. But, I mean, I'll I'll say I think John Paul Richardson has game-breaking ability. Brennan Presley has game-breaking ability. And Braden Johnson has game-breaking ability. Can they go down the field and go get a ball they shouldn't? Normally, no, but we saw Brennan Presley do it in Ames last year. Remember that touchdown catch he had? So, it's there. Um, they need Jaden Brayback, though, really yeah, badly.
2: Hopefully he comes back, because I think he's that guy, kind of like you called out, Spencer.
1: Yeah. Thanks
2: hey, so for the question. Appreciate it. Okay, we've got I think two more and then one in the DM. So we've got Glory Cowboy at Gorg Sankar. Thanks, as always. He says Baylor's going to mix in coverages between man and zone to confuse Sanders like they always do. To play up-tempo and to not get confused is, is going to take elite reading skills. Do you guys think Spencer's got it? What are some BU weaknesses that we can attack repeatedly?
1: I'll just answer the easy one there because I think we've talked about a lot of this. I do think Spencer's got it. I think he's got it in him. I think he's seen this defense enough, and enough defenses like it. I think he's going to do better. I think he's going to have a more clean game. And I think he's going to be more decisive running. I, th- I think so.
2: Yeah, and I think with the weaknesses, I think you got to look to maybe If you can, and I'm saying this about Dylan Doyle, he's a really talented player, but if you could get him in space on a slot, maybe on a running back, you could exploit that. And then we talked about some one-on-one matchups on the outside. I think these Oklahoma State receivers have the talent to win those battles with these Baylor cornerbacks. And I think Spencer's going to look to go after that whenever he gets that shot, whether that be when they're in man cover one, whether they're in quarters and he's taking one deep down the sideline before the safety can get over there. I think that's kind of what you got to look for, but you don't want to completely abandon the running game. But I think that's an, an area they can exploit. Absolutely. And the last one in the mentions is from Eric Harris at H Eric, the red. Thanks, Eric. I actually, he sent this one to me in the DMs a couple weeks ago and I missed it. So that's my bad. He says, can you compare the 2002 line with two pro bowlers to this year's line? Will we have more then the seven Pro Bowls from linemen on this team, and will any single player be able to break Kevin Williams' six Pro Bowls? Also, the similarity of Tyler Lacey and Kevin Williams is
1: fascinating. Ooh, wow. That's that's some D-line trivia right there. Is there a seven-time Pro Bowler on this defensive line is basically the question. <laughs> I mean, you are very high
2: on Taylor, answer, Tyler Lacey.
1: The answer is no, Dustin. The Pro Bowl is going away. Oh, that's here? true.
2: Yeah, it's like flag football now and a yeah, skills competition.
1: because I I won't watch that either. But here, it's it's no, it's no because of that, and it's no because seven Pro Bowls is a lot of Pro Bowls, and that's borderline Hall of Fame type territory. I I do you think this line in it, it as no. a
2: whole can compare with that two thousand two line. Sure, but when you're absolutely. talking about the top guys like a Kevin Williams. I mean, that's one of the Oklahoma State all-time greats right there. Maybe the GOAT.
1: Yeah. And I, mean,
2: I love Tyler Lacey. I think he's gonna be a really good player, even in the NFL. And I think he'll be a one, two, three round draft pick. But I just don't know. That's that's a high
1: bar. I love the question though. That's that's really what it is. That, is the bar, you know, uh jumpable at that point?
2: Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, next we've got in the DMs from Pradeep at Predeep Snare. He says he asks a few questions. We'll hit we'll hit just this one since we're running a little bit out of time. And sorry about that, Pradeep. But we've got he says, I agree with your comment on JPR being the hot route by design or otherwise for Spencer for the most part. But given his speed and sure handedness, shouldn't he supplant Braden Johnson as the one of the key receivers with plays designed for him? Braden has done really well for us the past three games, but I worry his drops might come at a crucial time and haunt us.
1: Could you argue that John Paul's effectiveness is because defenses have to, I mean, is partially because defenses have to key on Braden Johnson, can't let him get over the top. I mean, I a lot of this is yin and yang. Like you can't have one without the other, chicken and the egg type of conversation. So um y- yes, they should run plays for John Paul Richardson, but I won't say that they need to do it more yet. I think they're they're they need Jaden Brayback and then I'll start looking at it.
2: Yeah, I think it's a great call out though. You know it that- is. The Z spot is normally the spot that's kind of the first reader that the plays are designed for. Like he talked about, you know, if Spencer sees that off coverage on the Z he's going to probably throw that quick, but yeah, getting, getting guys like JPR and Presley involved more is something that, you know, you and I have been advocating for Casey Dunn even says, that's why they like to go 10 personnel for receivers because taking Presley and John Paul off the field is a bad idea. They're two of the better players on the team, but no, I think it's a great question. And we can hit his second one just real quick. He says, not that I'm advocating it, but is there a reason we don't use SS, Spencer Sanders in in an option design play more often? You kind of called that out earlier. That's why I wanted to hit that one. We've seen them do it. You know, they de- th- there was the big play last year. I, bl- I think that was in the Bedlam game. They've done it this year as well. There's a chance the quarterback takes a hit Shortly after the pitch, a lot of times on the option, you see that a lot, and it ends up being a big play for the running back, but I think it may just be something you want to avoid there. Also, one positive about the read play is it's kind of keeping the defense on both sides, field field and boundary, with the option, the running back and quarterback are both going to the same side, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. The option can work for people. I just think what Oklahoma State gets to do is use use that kind of different way. Sorry, my dogs are barking there. And that might be the end of that (laughs) question. They're
1: they're cutting us off. It's like the Oscars playing us off music. No, Dustin, thank you for that. No big deal at all. The the pups make an appearance. That's totally fine. Uh, Don't worry about it. But I'll go ahead and sign us off if you're not already. You can follow Dustin at Dust Ragou. You can follow me at Feels Like 45 or I'm sorry, you can follow me at Cade Webb. You can follow us at Feels Like 45 pod on Twitter and Instagram. Keep it locked with us on game day, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Say goodbye to Dustin and his dogs, uh, and we'll see you guys back here next week, hopefully after a humongous, massive, monumental Oklahoma State win in Waco. We'll see you then. Go Pokes.